Hello and welcome to Around the Corner. I'm Matt Schlichting, joined as always by Brian Hemminger. Brian, we had the draft this week. We did. A lot going on. We had the draft, we had the Futures game, um, and even though it's the All-Star break, every single uh, minor league team was playing, including the kicking off the Dominican Summer League. So every team is playing now. It's an exciting time, and I tweeted earlier this week, I just feel like minor league baseball is genuinely more exciting than the majors this season. I might have to agree with you. I mean, granted, if you're like an Angels fan or, you know, a Padres fan or something, you might be having a little bit more fun than most other teams. But that being said, there is so much personality in uh, the Cleveland minor league system this year. I mean, it seems like every single guy that hits home runs, bat flips. I'm loving it. George Valera, literally, I don't know if he can hit a ball without throwing his bat like 50 feet. The first generation of baseball players that grew up on the show are now doing bat flips from the game, and it's great. (laughs) Like, that one he hit and pimped was so vicious. I loved every second of it. (laughs) If George Valera had been called up in, like, the 90s, he would have been bean. He would have set the the MLB record for getting bean. (laughs) He would have made Griffey look like a saint for whatever problem they had with him. Yeah. So, None of it's a problem. It's all wonderful. No, it is not. It is it is incredible. So, yeah, what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with like our top, how our top performers went? Do you want to go over right to the draft quick? I think because it is week of the draft, let's open with that. All right. Now, I was able to uh, go through and uh, cover the, the draft live for Covering the Corner. So if you were having a chance to hang out in the live thread and chat with me during during the draft and give your instant feedback on picks and everything. Uh, I really appreciate it. We had some very active threads. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to, I wrote three articles on our top three picks because uh, we had a, a first round pick, a second round pick, and a compensation pick in between the second and third rounds. So all three of those picks uh, have articles where you can learn a little bit more about them. But all in all, Cleveland made 21 picks in 20 rounds. Normally the draft was 40 rounds. They cut it down to 20. Uh, Last year, it was only five rounds. It looks like it'll be 20 moving forward, and they're going to consistently have it a month later than normal during the All-Star break. I kind of liked this whole draft during the All-Star break. I don't know about you. It was a blast. I think MLB finally got something right. (laughs) Yeah, this this whole All-Star break, like all the festivities were awesome whether it was the Home Run Derby, the Celebrity Game, the Futures Game, the Draft. It, it was just a celebration of baseball. I um I watched the Home Run Derby this year with someone who has sworn that she does not like baseball, does not understand it. And by the end, she was openly rooting for Trey Mancini. It was awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Now, I don't know how much you got to delve into the draft, but were there any... What did you think first, before we even go into like individual picks... Uh, what did you think of the Cleveland strategy? Because out of 21 picks, they selected 19 pitchers, and I think 18 of them were college pitchers. Uh, a little validating, honestly, in some ways, right? We've been talking about their gravitation towards that specific type of player for a long time. And mm-hmm. then 
not only they, but I think the Angels also pretty much went all in on college pitchers, didn't they? Yes, the Angels had 20 picks and they took 20 pitchers. (laughs) I've never seen anything like it this year. There was another team, I don't remember which one, but they took almost exclusively pitchers as well. So uh, Cleveland was not the craziest team out there in terms of really honing in on their strength. Uh, there was one that I just thought was hilarious. I don't know if you follow Jeff MLB Draft on Twitter. He posted this back uh, over a month ago. He goes, after successfully predicting Xavion Curry and Eli Morgan to the Indians, this year's slam dunk pick is Trenton Denholm, right-hand pitcher out of UC Irvine. I feel like he might as well buy the gear now. And then what did the Indians do? Uh, they selected him in the 13th round. I... I was going to point this out if you didn't. Um, my my companion tweet to this uh, came from Gage at Everyone Hates Cleveland. Uh, working theory on the pitcher-heavy draft, especially college arms, the increase in tech is homogenizing pitcher development to agree to a degree, giving teams a lot of faith in schools they have relationships with, prepping the arms the way they would out of high school. And I feel like... It's, that's just what that's what's happening, right? And this draft is just sort of like the aha moment where the cat's out of the bag on how to develop pitching, apparently. Yeah. And basically, if you're a West Coast college pitcher or an SEC pitcher, the Indians are looking at you. <laughs> a little bit. Um, they are taking a deep dive at you. Um, and, and it was the 14th round, not the 13th round that uh, Denholm went. That might actually be one of my favorite picks that they made because he was a guy uh, heading... Uh, at the end of last season that people were projecting if he had uh, been eligible to be drafted, that he would have gone in like the second round, Mm -hmm. like at least heading into this up this past college season, but he had a bit of a down junior year. So his stock dropped, but Cleveland still remembers how good he was and how sharp his control was and how few his walks were and how high his strikeout rate was in his sophomore and freshman seasons. So they just are like, oh, you had a bad year and your stock dropped? Discount. (laughs) Like, that's basically how they viewed it. I loved it. An add-on to this one as well, Matt, I guess it's Collier. It could be Collier if we want to Colbert it. He has a evaluation system, and in in it, Denholm was one of the elite picks in 2019. Mm -hmm. And where did he end up? (laughs) Cleveland, of course. Oh, oh yeah. It's just interesting signs all pointing to the same thing here. It seems like Cleveland has figured out that they are very good at finding these international prospects that are position players. Like, look at their system right now. It is just chock full of elite position players that are like 20 and younger at mm-hmm. the moment. They they did focus, you know, some high school players and college bats and stuff uh, before, Uh, But, you know, dating back to like 2017 or so or 2018, they really honed in on those position players. And you look at, you know, starting with the year where they got, you know, Valera and Rocchio and Tana and uh, Noel and uh, Bracco, right? Like all the same year. Ever since then, they have like basically gone, screw international pitchers. (laughs) Let's get all the international players And then they have been doing a bigger and bigger focus on college pitchers. I mean, yeah, they have been taking some first round shots on some high school arms like Espino and Hankins and Torres, 
but they've kind of been burned a little bit, you know, as we've had Hankins and Torres now with Tommy John surgery. I mean, granted, they're all still potentially could be amazing. And Espino looks like a phenom, uh, but they're like, what, what has been our number one success? And they look back at that 2016 draft where they got Bieber and Savali and Playsec. And then since then, you just look at like Curry and Logan T. Allen and Tanner Burns. And those guys are just mowing people down, those college arms that they got last year. So they're just not just doubling down, but tripling down on what seems to be working with these college arms that have really good control, good strikeout rates, limit walks, and that they can throw into the pitching factory and just churn out potential future starters or stud bullpen arms. Yeah, and it it's great for the players, frankly, if going to these schools means that they have a, a better chance of connecting with an organization that probably shares similar philosophies to the major league team when it comes to development. That's neat. One other trend I think that's happening is, yes, relievers are being used more and more often and more and more heavily. But as that happens, I think a true starting pitcher who can go six innings just gets more and more valuable. So I, I think that's sort of why teams are focusing so heavily on drafting and developing pitching right now. It's because as we have seen with guys like Bauer and Clevenger, once you develop them, you can trade them for whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, I people joke uh, or we're, we're complaining about how you know much trouble Cleveland's pitching staff has had this year. But I think the funniest thing I saw was – if they had not traded away any of those pitchers in the past three or four years, right? If they had not done any trades, none of those guys would be able to pitch for them right now anyway. Yeah. They, Kluber's hurt. Clevenger's recovering from Tommy John. Carrasco hasn't pitched all season with his hamstring thing. And Bauer's on administrative leave. And instead, you have Franmil Reyes and Cal Quantrill and Logan Allen and Austin Hedges and Ahmed Rosario and, like, <laughs> like, and Owen talent. Miller and... The scouting department knows what they're doing. <laughs> they really do, apparently, as we have learned recently. Wow. So, yeah, give give them some credit here. Yeah. Now, was there any standout picks for you? Like anybody that you saw that the that Cleveland drafted, then you went, wow, that guy looks like he could be really good. He could be very helpful. Well, I know we're going to talk about Gavin Williams. Yes, I don't have anyone in particular other than that because I was not able to be as participatory on the subsequent days of the draft as I would have liked. I'm going to go, and this one might surprise some people, but Franco Ailman, uh, he was their 10th round selection this year. I think he's a Cuban native uh, and he's six foot, what is he? Six foot six throws upper 90s and he'll probably be transitioned to a reliever with two nasty pitches fastball and a curve i think this guy could be a fast mover so mark it down now we'll see if i'm smart in a year or two that is one of my super sleepers i also really like the dude from hawaii that they got aaron davenport has a lot of good pitches a lot of good off-speed stuff i think he could be a sleeper even though he wasn't ranked in like the top 250 they got him in their sixth round for a reason so keep an eye out for him. But yeah, let's talk about Gavin Williams. <laughs> so uh, as you know, uh, he was their first round pick. And as far as I know, I believe he had about the top fastball in the entire draft. Huh. 
I wonder how many times we've heard that in the past, like, four years. Right. <laughs> they did it with Hankins. They did it with Espino. And now they're doing it with a college player, Gavin Williams, who I believe about three or four years ago uh, arguably had one of the liveliest and fastest fastballs entering as a high school player where the Rays took him. And I'm sure, you know, they don't know how to develop pitchers either, right? So he turned that down and then went to East Carolina. And I think he kind of had his coming out party during the College World Series where East Carolina was taking on Vanderbilt, which had Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. And Gavin Williams had pitched the best game of his life going head-to-head with Kumar Rocker. I believe outpitched him, but then uh, the bullpen maybe wasn't able to hold it up. But he went like seven innings and struck out like 13 and gave up like a run or two. I mean, he was just phenomenal. You like on, a guy that doesn't flinch. Too. Yeah, on the world stage against one of the top pitching prospects in the game. So that just rocketed up his... Uh, uh, stock during that performance. But yeah, this is a guy that I really, really like. He doesn't walk anybody. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't walk people throw throws, you know, up to a hundred miles an hour as a starter and six foot six. I mean, could potentially have even more velocity in him if uh, they get to work on him. So. And so that's an interesting thing I think to discuss here is I will be interested to see when he starts playing professional ball with Cleveland, how hard is he throwing? Because I don't know that a starting pitcher really needs to throw any harder than 95. It's cool mm-hmm. if they do, but if he's 6'6 and can handle full effort, great. But maybe there's a possibility here as he learns some more feel pitches since changeup, curveball, weren't necessarily mentioned as his part of his repertoire but boy can they teach those in cleveland it'll i'm just interested to see if they try to have him throw as hard as he can or if they just let him settle in at 94 97 yeah that that could be really really interesting because i know uh you know espino's out there throwing 101 in his starts like he doesn't care (laughs) like so maybe it's awesome yeah so maybe he'll be like espino maybe he'll be more like hankins that is throwing the upper 90s 96 97 during his starts so yeah, that'll definitely be something to, to pay attention to. I also really like that second round pick they took, Doug Nikhazy. If you like James Karinchak, uh, this oh. guy, not quite as emotional as Karinchak, but he's pretty darn close. Uh, there have been several highlights posted on social media of this guy just losing it out on the mound, and it's awesome. So I love I love a pitcher that shows emotion. And uh, Cleveland really likes Florida's pitching uh, program, apparently, because on day two, uh, out of their 10 picks, three of them were Florida pitchers. Hmm. Yeah, including their Friday night starter for like the past two or three seasons, Tommy Mace. So, and he's another six foot six dude. So, uh, they really went with some big, big, tall, powerful Friday night starters. So, I here's a thought I would be interested to know if coaches from these programs, like it was UC Santa Barbara for Bieber and. Sandlin, is that right? Uh, no, Sandlin was Ole Miss. Okay, I know they drafted two pitchers from I, wherever Bieber went to school. I cannot remember exactly right, perhaps. And then you you said three this draft from Florida. I just would be curious to see where some of those college coaches end up a few years after these drafts. Well, what's interesting is Sandlin and Nikhazy were both second round picks out of Ole Miss too, so they must like uh, Ole Miss as well. Yeah, see, I knew something. I just didn't know what it was. 
uh, Rodney Boone, who they took in the eighth round, I believe went to the same school as Bieber. Was Bieber UC Santa Barbara? I could have sworn he was a banana slug, but I could be making that up. Uh, yep. Bieber was UC Santa Barbara. So uh, Rodney Boone um, basically was the second best pitcher at UC Santa Barbara. There was another guy that named like McCreevy or something or McGreevy. He went just a few picks before Cleveland. And a lot of people thought that he was going to get drafted by Cleveland because uh, you know how they always like every time that there's a pick made, they have to like immediately name a, a current or former MLB player that to compare that player to. Yeah. Like, and just put these poor, ridiculous expectations on these poor kids. Uh, but uh, the guy uh, that was the first round pick out of Santa Barbara this year, they were comparing to Bieber. Of course. Of course. You know, a guy that has really good control with every one of his pitches out of the same school. I have a general thought about the draft overall before we wrap up this section, okay. but if there's any specific guys you'd still like to dive into, oh, no, no. dive away. I'm good. So what's your general thought? It was fun. It was fun. to and, and I had a great time watching, and the kids obviously were very much enjoying getting to be on camera and everything for the higher picks. Uh, yeah, it, it felt different this year as well. Whenever they had the draft in the middle of the season, like while all the other games were still playing and everything, it, it kind of felt like an afterthought. Yeah. And this time it got a, got to be the focus. Yeah, I really enjoyed it, and I liked having it spotlighted, but those guys might be on the receiving end of the business about it at some point is all. Oh, I'm sure. That's, that's how <laughs> baseball works. So, all right. So, uh, great stuff on the draft. Let's roll right into our top 10 prospects and how they performed in the past week. So number one, Nolan Jones uh, had a bit of a rough week. He had been on fire for about a month, but in the past week he went just uh, two for 19. He did hit a home run and a double with his two hits. So they were both extra base hits, uh, had seven strikeouts and surprisingly did not walk, had a very ugly WRC plus despite hitting a home run of negative six. He also did apparently make a really nice diving catch in the outfield. So that, that was a positive sign for uh, his development. So uh, next up, Tyler Freeman, uh, as mentioned, uh, did not play this past week. He's been injured for about three weeks or so. Uh, good news though. Um, Indians pro on Twitter said all signs are pointing to Freeman being activated from the injured list on Sunday. That is sensational news. So let's see, how did Bo Naylor do, our number three prospect? Bo Naylor had himself a pretty fine week, I would say. He, in four games, hit 286, 375, 786, and that's a WRC plus of 198. So seeing the ball very well. And he got to play in the Futures game. So Very exciting. Mm -hmm. He was our loaned representative this year. I would have liked to see about eight other Indians players in that futures game. But uh, I'm, I'm glad that Bo got the opportunity, especially after the slow start that he'd been on. It seems like he's really been figuring it out the last month, which is kind of what he did two years ago when he got, you know, that extra boost and promoted straight to full season uh, the year after he was drafted. He's doing a nice job. Uh, next up, we got George Valera. He went five for 19 in six games, smacked two home runs, uh, walked three times, struck out five, was hit by a pitch, uh, scored four runs, knocked in four runs, had a WRC plus of 159 and a 970 OPS. So excellent week for George Valera. And I, and I think that is not including his game yesterday when he hit another home run. 
And his blasts are all of the Titanic variety. And basically he knows they're gone the second they leave his bat, and his bat almost follows the ball out of the stadium. There is another man we will speak about in a a little while who has never hit a cheap home run, but we will save that for the next segment. All right. Uh, Next up, it looks like we have a certain Gabriel Arias, uh, who is up at AAA Columbus as a 21-year-old. And he had a pretty good week as well, hitting 316, 350, 632, good for a WRC plus of 456. And peppered in there were two home runs, a walk, and struck out five times. But I think that if you're hitting aggressively and that's the damage you do, that's fine. Uh, And then we have uh, Daniel Espino, who is... I believe actually starting today. So he really only pitched the one time a little over a week ago, um, went three innings, struck out three, gave up a couple runs, uh, didn't have his best performance, but then he got promoted to high A. That is also coming on the heels of a 13 strikeout performance in 5.1 innings. Uh, He has really been sensational this season. He's been one of the highest strikeout pitchers in the Cleveland system in his debut in full season ball. And I believe tonight he is making his high A debut for Lake County. So I will be following that in eager anticipation. That's exciting news. That is very exciting news. I really hope he does well. It's, you know, it's one thing when a college player gets, you know, advanced to level because you kind of expect them to move quickly. But when you have a high school player who is just 20 years old, making his pro date, making his full season debut to start the season, and then they promote him midway through the season, that is an extremely good sign. So they are very, very confident in Espino. Something uh, that's a bit surprising, I just noticed, uh, when he was drafted, he was about six foot even, maybe six one, but I think six foot even. And some people were talking about they were a little concerned about his height. Looks like he's six two now. Hey. So growing into it, his frame a little bit more. So. Yeah, cleats can't do that much. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to confirm uh, if he has grown an inch or two since they drafted him, which can happen with a, when you draft somebody that when they're like 17 or just turned 18. Next up, we have Brian Rocchio. And uh, yeah, I think this one you will be very happy about. He, he's, he, can we save his numbers for the top five performers? Yes, since we will save his off? numbers. <laughs> we will save Rocchio's numbers for about two or three minutes from now. So you will just have to wait. Uh, But let's just say, spoiler alert, they're really, really good. That does bring us along to Aaron Bracco, though. Our number eight guy. Aaron Bracco. um, He also is on the Lake County roster alongside Valera and Rocchio. And in the past week, he did pretty well as as well. Uh, Five games, went four for 16 for a 250 batting average, but... Uh, did slug a home run, walked five times, struck out five times. Overall, slashed uh, 250, 409, 438 with a 134 WRC plus. So, if you're above 100 on that WRC plus, I'm I'm gonna be happy. If you're above 200, though, great. Oh uh, yeah, Bonus or three. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So definitely, you know. Not the most ridiculous week, but hey, above average. And considering he is still just uh, 20 years old in, like, honestly, just turned 20 years old in April. um, And he is in high A 
that's great. Uh, next up, Ethan Hankins again uh, has not pitched all season. Tommy John surgery, so we can kind of skip right over there. And then one of the more up and down players in the entire system, Josh Wolf. He has kind of been Jackal and Mister Hyde, depending on what week we are covering him. So how did he do in his most recent start? I have his start from July 11th in which he went four innings, allowed one run and two hits, walked three, but struck out six. Okay. So a, a little effectively okay. wild, pretty, maybe, good. but yeah, good. I'll take it. Considering he has had some pretty ugly starts this year, uh, that is a sign of progress. So more like that, Mr. Wolf, please. Thank you. <laughs> so this brings us to the top five for the week. Uh, let's get it rolling uh, and save all the suspense with Mr. Rokio. So how did Brian Rokio do this past week? 13 for 26 in six games played. 500, 581, 577. <laughs> um, two doubles, three walks, two stolen bases, 224 WRC+. Plus. Just having fun. Hitting 500. No big deal. Yeah, that's... That's insane. So, uh, well, well done, Mr. Rocchio. Um, it's so nice because uh, he's a guy that is crazy talented. And uh, when he really starts putting it together, I mean, that's really when you see why that prospect status is so high. And again, he is very young for his level. So uh, I am ecstatic that he's putting up those kind of numbers. Uh, I think Lake County scored 17 runs yesterday. So. What was funny was the bullpen gave up nine runs in the last three innings. Normally, you'd be uh, pretty upset about that because they blew the game, but thankfully they had a 16-run cushion to work with. So that was sensational. So uh, very, very happy for Mr. Rocchio. I am, like, he, there's a reason that he is on my do-not-trade list. Like, I really think this guy is a future infielder for Cleveland, despite all of the incredible... Uh, prospects in the system like this is the one that i really think for sure is going to be helping us at some point like uh, the cream up, he yeah. will rise <laughs> uh, next up we've got will benson uh so really excited that he is continuing to perform well um and this past week his slash line was wild so he went only five for 14 in five games so 357, that's good, right? But look at this. On base percentage, 571. OPS, uh, 786. Of those five hits, three were doubles and one was a home run. And he walked six times and was hit by a pitch. <laughs> so he had a WRC plus of 254, which was almost 30 points higher than Brian Rocchio, who batted 500. <laughs> I'm very excited by this development as well. Uh, he is the aforementioned player who has never hit a cheap one. And I wonder if he has figured out how to use fear at the plate. Yeah. Um, That's how you is... draw six walks. <laughs> uh, Will Benson has always been good at drawing walks, but I, he is doing it better than he has ever done it this year. He is walking at about a 20% clip this season. That's a Frank Thomas line. It's stupid. <laughs> like, I know he's he's still striking out about 30% of the time, but he is getting on base over 40% of the time. And he's stealing bases when he gets on base. When he does hit it, he is hitting it far. 
So, I mean, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. Uh, he actually, uh, out of every full season player in the entire Cleveland system, he is leading every single one of them in OPS now and WRC plus. Like he is doing tremendous. Like I am so happy. Like people were ready to give up on this guy and he's not perfect. I mean, he still has contact issues and he probably always will on, but he is making some adjustments and he is doing it. So I want, I want his, I think his prospect status is significantly on the rise and I, they better protect him in the upcoming rule five draft because he's making a very strong case to be promoted to Columbus and at that point, somebody is going to take him from us in November or December for the Rule 5 draft if we don't protect him. I am to the moon about Will Benson because he is just an extremely likable dude. And to see him have that success is great. Now, the next guy, I'm going to save him for last because his numbers are insane. So we're going to skip over him super quick uh, and go straight to Cody Morris, the only pitcher in our top five this week. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with Cody Morris, he didn't pitch uh, for the whole first two months of the season. He had a bit of an injury. Um, and in his rehab start, when they just were just getting ready to activate him, they sent him down to Arizona just to see how if he was ready. And he went four and a third innings and struck out 12 batters. So only one guy made freaking contact off of him. Okay. One guy put the ball in play. So they activated him. And how did he reward them? Uh, he has made two starts and has gone four innings each time for Akron and has gone eight innings total, six hits, no runs, no walks, nine strikeouts. If this guy had been healthy to start the year, he might be in Cleveland's rotation right now. That's an exciting development as well. It is an extremely exciting development because we're really having some struggles right now trying to figure out that rotation. Uh, Mejia has been very up and down. Hentius, I think, should be moved permanently to relief. Quantrill's been pretty good at, for the most part. Um, McKenzie has looked like he's turned the corner, but we still need some help. We've only got Playsec back. So Cody Morris might be one of those guys to consider. Now, he still needs a little bit of time and needs stretched out and everything, but uh, this is absolutely a guy that is going to be in line to be fighting for a spot in the rotation. So uh, next up. Brian Lavastida back again, uh, our sweet swinging catcher over at Lake County. He just keeps being good. 316, 435, 632 is what he slashed. That's six hits in 19 at-bats in five games. He had a dinger, four walks, did not strike out. So all of his outs forced a fielder to do a thing. And he uh, tallied up a 183 WRC plus at the end of it all. Well, considering he was on our list last week for, you know, I think had a on-base percentage of like six something. Uh, you know, this was a down week for him to only have a, a 435 on-base percentage, uh, but also hitting a home run and walking four times. So, uh, yeah, this guy can just flat out hit. I think his stock is, you know, absolutely soaring. Um, we have some really, really interesting um up-and-coming catching prospects at this point. And we're going to close this out with our top five with an absolutely insane performance from Mikhail Ramirez, who down in the Arizona Complex League in four games went eight for 13, slashed 615, 722 on base percentage, 
and a 1,000 slugging percentage. That means when he was up to bat, he averaged four bases. Or no, he averaged one base at least every time he came up to play to the plate. They could not get him out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, he w- had five doubles in his four games, so he averaged more than a double a game. Four walks and was hit by a pitch and stole a base at a WRC plus of 306. I think I saw so far to start the season in two weeks, he has not struck out once and has walked like nine times. Uh, this guy is insane. He's just been hurt, I think. So I don't think he's going to be uh, in the Arizona Complex League for very long. And if he gets promoted and if he keeps this up, we will certainly continue to discuss his rise <laughs> because those are ta- that is a tantalizing start. What's nuts, though, is... It's going to be tough to promote him because you've got uh, Yiner Diaz mashing in Lynchburg. You've got Lavastida mashing in High A Lake County. And you've got uh, Bo Naylor uh, turning the corner in Double A. Like, really, the only level that we don't have, like, a prospect is Triple A right now. But they kind of need that level for, you know, a backup in case Roberto Perez or Austin Hedges get hurt. Yeah, and plus uh, so, Ryan LaVarnway seems pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I like LaVarnway. So I was very happy that he uh, was able to get through waivers and sign back up. But yeah, uh, people, we, we joked about this before the podcast, but, you know, they always say the pitching factory, but we might have a catching factory. It is another thing in our bizarre lab that we have here when it comes to the Indians' development <laughs> philosophy. They're on to something there, too. And they can all hit. Mm. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on to the Carnegie Cupboard, where we select uh, two non-top 30 MLB pipeline prospects and track them throughout the season, uh, one pitcher and one position player each. So, Matt, uh, who are your guys and how did they do this past week? I, for hitters, have Clark Scolamiero, 22nd round pick of 2017 center fielder currently with the Akron Rubber Ducks uh, via a recent promotion, I think. While he was in Lake County, however, he had a, an interesting time because his he had a 190 batting average for the month of July, essentially, while he was there, but a 414 on base percentage. And he got hit by two pitches. <laughs> so he's getting on base. And he scored six runs in 21 at-bats. So that's valuable. Plus, he had two home runs. So not your usual line that you look for in a guy, but effective nonetheless. Uh, moving on, uh, we have uh, your other player, uh, Eric Mock. How did he do? He pitched three and one-third innings, giving up six hits and five runs, uh, including a walk. Had four strikeouts, but... Did not appear to have uh, total control. Well, he was at double A, and I think he was starting that game. So uh, he's kind of been off and on as a starter and reliever throughout the year. And I think he kind of got thrust into a spot start situation. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. We will we will hope for better things in the future. Yes, I don't think it's something to be concerned about with him, but still. And then uh, my boy, Micah Priest, who has been great when healthy he was sent down to the arizona complex league for a rehab assignment 
and then was just placed on the injured list before he could even get into his first game. So that's not a good sign. So he is hurt again. Uh, This poor guy cannot stay healthy. And it's super frustrating because when he's playing, he is performing. Uh, My pitcher, on the other hand, Francisco Perez, who was promoted to AAA, pitched twice for Columbus. And in four and a third innings, he allowed one run on three hits, uh, did walk three, but struck out five. So had a nice little 2.08 ERA. So very nice uh, to see from Mr. Perez. So uh, well done. And then uh, we're going to move on to the transactions. Pretty much since our last podcast, uh, these are basically the most important transactions that have happened in about the last two weeks. Uh, We'll start with Clark Scolamiero. He was promoted to Akron. And it was part of because Julian Escobedo was activated from the injured list and went to Lynchburg. Then that kind of pushed Cody Farhat, who was a bit of an org guy, to Lake County. Clark Scolamiero was at Lake County, and he is a college bat. Uh, and they you know, have some younger outfielders in Lake County. And they went, all right, Scolamiero, go enjoy double A. So he went up to Akron. And then unfortunately, Austin Wade... Uh, I think a fifth round pick from about 2016 or 17, uh, he was released from the organization. So he was an outfielder as well. Um, Other interesting transactions here, uh, Nick Mikolajczyk, a guy that a lot of people were really high on and has performed very well as Akron's closer, uh, was recently placed on the seven-day injured list. Uh, Daniel Espino, as we talked about, was promoted to Lake County from Lynchburg. Oscar Gonzalez was promoted to Columbus from Akron. Um, Logan T. Allen was promoted to Akron from Lake County. Uh, And then uh, we had several players that were either activated or injured. Uh, We already mentioned Micah Priest on the seven-day injured list. Uh, Jose Fermin, uh, international prospect, uh, outfielder or infielder in Akron, uh, was placed on the seven-day injured list with a left hamstring injury. And then Cody Morris was activated, obviously, because he was on our top for the week. And Adam Scott, another uh, solid pitcher, uh, was activated off the seven-day injured list. And last but not least, Dalbert Siri uh, was released from the organization. Uh, he was a reliever in Columbus. I thought he had a chance to make an appearance in Cleveland this year, but... Uh, has not pitched particularly well, and they decided to let him go. Yep. With, With uh, all the opportunities this year, especially if it wasn't yep. if it wasn't Just working, then it probably advantage. won't. Yeah, couldn't quite take advantage of that opportunity, but I think he got signed immediately by some other team somewhere. So uh, good for him. But uh, I wish he could have made it here in Cleveland. Uh, I, I, I've had him on my list of you know kind of bullpen arms to keep an eye on for like the past five years. He was like the the closer at almost every level he pitched at, but couldn't quite make it happen once he got up to AAA. So hopefully he can, uh, you know, put it all together and get another opportunity for another team. So, and I think that does it for all of our uh, transactions and top players and, and draft coverage and pretty much everything we were planning to talk about today for the podcast. Then I believe if it's okay with all parties present, I can proceed with the ceremonial reading of an E.E. Gamings poem to close us out. Lobsters aspire to deal Kestin Hiura, rigging up 
the athletics. Walk until you are too junky to roam. The mailbox is furious.